Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson alongside with my co-host Greg Lanelli from Lightning Power Play here on weekdays from 12 to 1 on Power Lunch on the uh, Lightning Power Play station. You can find it on the iHeart app. Him and Dave Mishkin are live every day from 12 to 1 o'clock. Also on the pregame, postgame, and intermission uh, on the radio broadcast as well. Uh, LightningInsider.com is where you can find my written work. And let's just jump right into things as we're coming at you right now, following Tampa Bay's six game homestand. They finish off with a four and two record, finishing a two game sweep of the Columbus Blue Jackets to pull themselves a little bit closer in the Central Division race as we gear towards the playoffs. And Greg, the biggest news of the week actually took place off the ice. The players and staff got their rings. And I'm sure plenty of people listening to this saw the pictures and the ceremony, some of the ceremony. Yeah. All I got to say is, wow. Looked pretty sweet. You know, what was impressive for me was the detail in the rings. You know, it's, it's a big ring for sure. But to be able to get as much as they did that uh, transpired during that year, that was pretty cool. And I, I think... Look, whoever wins the Stanley Cup this year, they're going to have to one-up that Stanley Cup ring for sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's one of those things where, as a player, I think even for these guys who make millions of dollars, I think even for them, they were impressed. They were shocked. And I think that's saying something. Absolutely. Uh, you know, especially, I mean, look, let's face it, the business side has been hurt, right? And yet you've got your your owner, Jeff Vinnick, and Jeff and Penny Vinnick, who put this together for what is an absolutely beautiful looking ring. It was 800 diamonds in it. I think there's a hundred and some odd custom cut sapphires. The fact that you can lift the ring and, and, and or the top of it, the Stanley cup, move it. And it reveals that Stockholm uh, thing for their, you know, their two game uh, trip to Sweden during the season, which seems like it was forever ago, but yeah, there was, there was anticipation for the players and the staff to try and get a, uh, understanding of what it was going to look like. And uh, yeah, it, it's hard to shock, I think, pro athletes when it comes to these situations. But I think there was genuine just shock value. And because and not only did the players obviously get the rings, the players' wives and girlfriends got the necklaces to go Ooh. along with it. And I mean, it's just How about that, as we expect, right? First class, everything with this ownership group and they made sure everybody was taken care of. And again, it wasn't just the players too. Like the staff got the same rings, you know, the, the Tom Mulligans, the uh, medical trainer and Ray Phil, the equipment manager and, and all those guys, they all got the same, same rings. And 
boy, what a keepsake that's going to be. Because let's face it, it's so big, you're not going to wear it that much. You're going to pull it out. You're going to show your friends. You're going to be at cocktail parties or whatever. You're not wearing it really out in public that much. But wow, it's just an unbelievable keepsake to remember what this team went through in the playoff bubble and the pandemic and everything to get to their goal. And that was to win a Stanley cup. And it was just impressive. It's, it's almost like it was a, a reward really for how difficult a season it was yep. to go that big. And what you're saying is he, and, and I think a lot of people would agree. And if they don't, they, they probably feel a little insecure. Size does matter. That's, <laughs> that's what you're saying. In this case, it definitely matters. And, uh, <laughs> it, it, it definitely, it, it's the, it's the largest ring uh, carrot weight that the, the company that, uh, that put the ring together and, and the name of the company is uh, Jostens, J-O-S-T-E-N-S. Uh, you can find their, uh, the line at jostens.com. Uh, they're selling stuff for fans too. If anybody's interested, go, you know, you can go find it, but yeah, you're right. Size does matter. And uh, this one, I think 25 total carat weight, uh, biggest one that this company has ever produced. And, you know, they did the Dodgers one for the world series and a lot of other ones. And you're right, Greg size does matter. And right, onto the, the product onto the ice, um, it's been a, been about a week and a half since we talked here on the podcast when we had the post deadline show and they, this was just before the six game homestand. So they finished four and two, they split with Carolina and Florida, but it wasn't really a split because they gave both those teams an extra point in the standings. So they actually lost a point to both Florida and Carolina in the standings finish off. If a two game sweep of Columbus, the second game coming in overtime, and it's interesting this time of year to try and equate how a team is playing right now and try and sit there and say, well, that's how they're going to play in two weeks. And, you know, I certainly see it fill up my timeline on game nights when things might not be going well. But is the process, because it's process over outcome right now until you get to May, whenever the playoffs start the process over outcome is always paramount, but the process right now isn't leading to the right type of hockey. This team wants to play knows they need to play. So I guess as we sit here two weeks out from the end of the regular season, where does the process need to improve for you to get you feeling better about where this team will sit once they get to that first playoff game? Yeah. You hear a lot about that. I know John Cooper, he's, he's known for saying, the process. And I understand that that makes a lot of sense. I also think you have to look at, at each situation a little differently. I mean, this lightning team is known for a while e, that they've been in the playoffs, that they are going to the playoffs. They're coming off a Stanley cup run. They basically have the same team back. They're going to be getting, they're going to be getting Kucherov and Stamkos back hopefully before the playoffs or during the playoffs at some point. So I think it's natural to go through these lulls a bit. You don't want them to necessarily happen at the end of the year, but you know, so be it. I think some of that is dictated on who they're playing and understanding that they are just gearing up for the playoffs. They're ready to go. I think this is more of a mental issue than a physical issue. And so when you talk about, you know, the, the process, and sometimes that's more important, I do think the next, the last, I should say, couple of games on the schedule is where maybe we really can get an idea of where this team is heading into the playoffs. Because I, I do think that, a lot of their issues is just getting up for games at this point and being mentally strong game in and game out. I, I just don't think they they're there. You can, you can disagree with that and you can sit there and say, well, Greg, they're professionals. They should be, 
really sharp every game. And, and I think there are valid points to that. I don't know if that's dealing in reality because I think it is human nature to know that the lightning got off to a really good start, basically cemented their playoff spot early on. They weren't in any danger e of not making the playoffs kind of like Dallas who ran into a number of issues. Tampa Bay took care of business early on and, and played pretty well. And we were talking about them basically being the best team in the league, you know, up to about a month ago. So I think a lot of this is mental, mental fatigue and just not being as mentally sharp and, waiting for the playoffs to begin. I think that process will start to become a bit better once the regular season is drawing to an end. And it might even be those last couple of games against Dallas and Florida where there could be some significant outcomes on the table. For Dallas, it could be an opportunity for them to get into the playoffs. So the stakes will be high for them, which may force the Lightning to be involved a bit more and also understanding that there are only four games remaining in the schedule before the playoffs. And then, of course, you're going to have the Florida Panthers, something you and I talked about during the first intermission report, that you know, even if both teams at that point, which they will, have a playoff spot locked up, they may be running into a position where they want to send each other a message before the playoffs begin, or it could be you know, home ice advantage if we're talking about both of those teams being the second or third seed. So I look for this team to be a bit better when it comes to the process more so now or more so uh, than what they're giving now towards the end of the year. And I I feel like that will happen because I think we've known for a while that the lightning were going to be a playoff team. And I think it is human nature to let that guard down. And I know that sometimes trickles into the physical aspects of things. If you're not mentally sharp, you and I have discussed about them not being maybe as good with the puck in the neutral zone and the turnovers. And that creeps up in their game, even when things are going well. I think it's magnified even more when they're not as sharp uh, between the years. And I look for that to change, hopefully, you know, sooner rather than later. But I I think especially with the last three or four games remaining on the season. Yeah, I I think what I kind of take out of, you know, where where things are headed with this is the turnovers are still a concern. Uh, We saw two of them in Sunday night's game against Columbus, one by David Savard, another by Mikhail Sergachev, just poor passes right across the top of the blue line, which, you you know, those can be just devastating and uh, they didn't hurt them last night, but they could have. And, and I think that that's a big area that things have to be cleaned up. But, but I think the one thing is, is the way they're defending, Um, you know, and that's something that John Cooper has talked about when they're under pressure, they, they really have kind of uh, fallen back on that defensive structure in their own zone and and they may not have the puck. The puck possession might not be where they want it to be at times, but they're defending it well. And and I think that's something that they have to fall back on. Cause remember, this is a team that if you go back to the playoffs last year, how patient they were, how prudent they were in their approach, you know, they didn't let things get to them and let things bother them. I, you know, you've heard me say it and you know, others have, have uh, heard it as well, you know, embrace the suck and dance in the rain, a great line that Julian Breezebois gave us back in the summer before they got back to the summer training camp. And uh, it, that hasn't been the case. You know, you go back to the first game against Columbus on this homestand, that Thursday night game where Ryan McDonough is robbed on the back door, doesn't score where they probably deserved a lead where they had the first five shots of the game and the first four scoring chances of the game. They take a penalty 
A shot that's going wide hits the stick of Alex Kalorn, goes into the back of the net on Columbus's first shot on goal. And the Lightning then was shot on goal the rest of the period. And in fact, I believe they only had two scoring chances the rest of the period. So you have to avoid those type of situations. And that's what they did in the playoffs last year. They just kept playing. Uh, so is that a mentality? I think it is. Is Can a lot of this be chalked up to the mental fatigue that you mentioned? I think absolutely it does. Because, you know, we sit here and say that we know that the playoffs is a foregone formality. So do they. They ain't going to talk about it. You know, you're still hearing John Cooper saying, if we're fortunate enough to get in with two weeks to go in the regular season, they're in. They don't have that little X by their name yet as we're talking right here, but they're in and they know that. So uh, I, I think it is a mental thing. Uh, a lot of fans will say, but you can't just flip the switch. And, and to me, it's not flipping a switch. It's more of just getting back to the right mentality that you have to have when it comes to playoffs. And this is a team that has now experienced a championship and understands how to play. And yes, you have a couple of new faces on the roster this year, but by the time knock on wood, assuming everybody is hundred percent healthy and ready to go, you're going to have a lot of familiar faces in the lineup and they know what it takes, the mentality it takes to play. And you would expect that their focus will be much more uh, narrow and sharpened once you get there. So I am, and I've been a big advocate of this for so long, how a team plays two weeks before the end of the regular season is not how they're going to play in the postseason. And, you know, people say, what about 2019? Hostile signs. No, you didn't. You didn't see signs. This team was still winning games down the stretch. Nobody. And I mean, nobody predicted what happened in 2019. They had, they just they they had things that, that didn't go their way. They didn't know how to handle it in 2019, but that was different in 2020. Now that they've gone through that, I don't have much concern with how this team is going to be focused once we get to May 13th, 14th, 15th. None of the yeah. playoffs are actually going to start. And I I've actually said here recently on on Power Lunch. For me, it's more about individual play than team play because I think the individual play will lift up the team play. And what I mean by that is the team collectively has been in a little bit of a funk, particularly offensively for sure over the last month or so. And I don't think it's a surprise that some of their best players haven't been their best players offensively. And I'll include Victor Hedman in that from the back end, being able to contribute what he typically does. I think he's, he's made more turnovers than you'd like from the back end. He just hasn't been as impactful and it's unusual because Victor Hedman typically is a guy that is going to, be tremendous game in and game out. He still is. And I think the goal he scored uh, against Columbus uh, the other night in overtime will you know, hopefully give him a little bit more jolt to his game and, and we'll see a, a better Victor Hedman. But I don't think it's a surprise that the team is starting to pull itself out of its funk with their best players starting to be their best players. And really the biggest example of that is Braden Point. I think he's been their best player the last couple of weeks. He, he is a guy that, um, you know, at times – this year, we've seen teams really focus on him, and when that's happened, maybe he hasn't had the greatest of games. He's gone more stretches where he hasn't recorded a point this year than I can remember, at least back to his rookie year, but he has found another level, and not surprisingly, it's because of his skating and his speed. He, I, I feel like he's picked up his speed and his, his game-breaking abilities a bit more here over the last couple of weeks, and I think because of that, I think Palat is starting to turn the corner a little bit here, which is good to see. I think the Yanni Gord line 
has been really, really solid. Gord specifically might have been their most consistent player all year long, but it was good to see Blake Coleman get a couple of goals the other night because he had gone quite a few games without scoring. So you understand and you acknowledge that Stamkos and Kucherov aren't in the lineup, and that's going to certainly hurt your offense. But you wanted to see some of your best players pick it up with them being out. And maybe it took them a little bit to kind of feel completely comfortable with that and, and find their game. But I do feel like throw Hedman in that category after scoring against Columbus, throw Braden points. Who's been really dynamic the last couple of weeks, especially maybe you're starting to see Andre Palat turn the corner here a bit and some other guys. I feel like as those guys get better, you're going to see the team play be a lot better. And I think that's encouraging. So for me, I'm looking more at the individuals right now than how the team is playing collectively. Because I think if some of their best players get back to where they were, the team play, I think, is going to be a, a lot better as well. Yeah, you'll get guys more. Again, that's where the focus comes in, right? Where they understand how team play has to be better. And it's, it's a good point about looking at individuals and how they're approaching things right now. Because I think Braden Point has started to find that dynamic part of his game where he really puts pressure on the opposing team and with, with the speed and his ability to carry the puck up the ice and, you know, kind of back teams up and that will open up for, for teammates. Uh, as we see Andre Pilat, um, it's nice to see him back to back goals and game um, games with back to back goals for the first time since the end of February and the beginning of March for him uh, and important goals too, right? Like the, the game winning goal in the first game against Columbus and then the opening goal uh, in game two against the blue jackets, um, you know, so that line, now, especially in the, in the overtime game, that line was great. They were actually uh, on the ice for all four goals, including the power play goal uh, scored by Alex Barry Boulay. Uh, now, now the next thing you need to look for, you need to get Anthony Sorelli on the score sheet. He has just had a tough go of things offensively. Remember, we talked early in the year about how good of an offensive start he was off to and the confidence he had offensively, you know, his ability to, you know, be that second line center that can play both ends of the ice. We know he's so good and, and responsible defensively, but to see his game before he got injured, he was around a point per player game. And even when he came back, he had a couple of goals early on and he kind of kept that pace, but it's dropped off the map for him offensively. I noticed in Sunday's game, how much more of an attacking mentality that he had, especially on the forecheck, which is what his strength is, is to get in deep and win pucks and win battles along the wall. Notice that coming back. I don't know if this is, if, if his game is kind of, you know, set back a little bit because of the injury that he did have. Uh, but he's a guy that you need to get going because he is, he's an engine of this team, not, not on the same level as a Brayton point, but just his compete level and his attitude tend to rub off on others. So there's a guy that I think you need to get going individually. And I think if he does well, then Alex Kalorn is kind of going to kind of get his game going as well. Uh, and same thing with Tyler Johnson, Tyler Johnson's offense. And, you know, we've discussed his name quite a bit on multiple uh, formats, um, you know, but his game offensively has dipped as well. Uh, will he be there on that line when the playoffs start? That still remains to be seen. But in the meantime, he's another guy that you would like to see kind of find some offensive groove. So uh, great to see the first line going. We know what the Gord line can do. Uh, the fourth line, uh, not unsurprisingly, is their production is not quite at the level it was for about two weeks there uh, with Ross Colton, Pat Maroon, and, Ma and Matthew Joseph. But Matthew Joseph did have, you know, the second period tying goal uh, with Braden Point on the ice. Uh, 
uh, in the game against Columbus. Uh, so I think collectively, I, I think as the individuals come along, I agree with you. I think collectively the game, the team game will come along right along with it because I think they do fall in line. You, you take care of the individual, the individual takes care of the rest. I'm curious your thoughts on Sorelli because this to me has been one of the interesting conversations because I think it's fair to say with Anthony Sorelli, we've talked about how good he's been over the last couple of years, really since he's entered the league. And most of that he has been, you know, he's a really good two-way player. You hear that a lot. And I think with Sorelli, he's the type of guy that when you look at his game, you almost feel like, is he going to be more effective in the playoffs than in the regular season? Because maybe that's more of his style. It's, it's not as flashy as some of the other guys on this team. And I'm, I'm talking about the big three, whether it's points, Stamkos, or Kucherov. And while Sorelli does have 20 goal capability, I think there is a fair question to ask, what is his upside, at least right now, with this team? And I'm wondering, do you think it's more of just, this is who Sorelli is? Or do you think they really need to find that third wheel on his line to get him going, assuming he ends up staying you know, with Kalorn? Uh, is it going to be Stamkos? Is that enough to get that unit going? Is it going to be somebody else? Do you need more speed on that line to open things up? We've certainly seen Matthew Joseph bounce up and you know up and down the lineup, and he certainly has had a nice season when it comes to the the goal production. But I'm curious what you think about Sorelli because I'm wondering for all we talk about how good he is and how he has another level to get to offensively. Um, there is also the thinking that, you know, maybe he is just this 15 to 20 goal scorer that is going to be really good in the playoffs. And that's when you really need to evaluate his game. I, I think, I think he's a 20 goal scorer. I, I think he, I think that that should be the minimum we expect from him. I think he's better than a 15 goal scorer just because he has a knack for being around the net. Um, you know, and he's getting power play time this year, which is something he didn't really get in, the, in his previous couple of seasons. Um, so I, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect, you know, 20 goals out of him. I, I think, you know, kind of back to what I was saying about where his game looked at, like he was on Sunday was he was around the net and that's where he has to be. You know, think of the, the deflection goals he scored this year. And, you know, we're not seeing him get the opportunities on breakaways, you know, when he's able to read the play and, and intercept passes, we haven't seen that as part of his game here. Uh, for the last little while either. Uh, but he's not like, again, he's not Braden point. He can't, he doesn't have the dynamic game that Braden point has. He has the same approach to the game and that, you know, that's the, the relentlessness and the puck pursuit and, you know, his willingness to get in on battles and, you know, that's what drives him. Um, but he's not, he's not a driver of a line, but his attitude can drive a line. And I think with, where he needs to get to, he just needs to be more involved. And that's where I saw signs. He didn't get on the score sheet, but that's where I saw signs on Sunday night. Uh, could he use maybe a guy uh, who can finish on the line? Because, you know, him and Kaloran can be so good at, at winning battles and digging pucks off the wall and, and all that stuff, the, the intangibles, the stuff that really shows up on a score sheet. I, I think so. I mean, let's, I mean, Tyler Johnson struggle. And of course, having said that, that line did set up a great chance for Tyler Johnson on Sunday's game where he was all alone by himself at the top of the crease and missed the net. Yeah. You know, so it, 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 if, if that can continue, if that trend can continue, that's a sign for this team. 
uh, that you can get back to the balanced attack that you had because that's a big part of the why this team won a Stanley Cup last year is because the depth that they did have, their ability to send out any line in basically any situation to be trusted, not just defensively, but to chip in offensively as well. You know, we know how great uh, Nikita Kucherov and Brain Point were in the playoffs last year, and you could have had an argument for either of them to win the Conn Smythe, and you wouldn't have been wrong over Victor Hedman. Victor Hedman does end up winning it. But think of the big goals. Sorelli didn't have a ton of offense last year in the playoffs, but he scored some big ones, right? Like the tying goal in the clinching game against Columbus, the overtime goal against the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals to send them to the Stanley Cup final. So he has that knack for showing up in big moments. But both of those goals that he scored that I just mentioned were because he was around the net. He needs to be around the net to be much more effective uh, in his offensive game and maybe that means you have to have somebody who's got a little more of a consistent game uh, that they have on his line. Cause let's face it, Tyler Johnson has not had a consistent year. Well, and I think that's going to be an interesting question. I also too, I think this is where the mental aspect of things come in because let's face it, to go to the front of the net, that's more of a mental thing than a physical thing. You've got to want to go there. And I'm not saying that Sorelli is lazy in any ways. He's not, he's a hard worker and that's very well known. But you're right. We haven't seen as many opportunities around the net. So to me, this is where the mental issue becomes a bigger deal than the physical one for the team collectively. And that's why I do start to see signs from their best players that are starting to round into form, uh, which is encouraging. And I think the next eight games, you want to see Sorelli certainly do that for sure. I think Kalorn's had more moments where he's, he's done better. And I think for Tyler Johnson, boy, that is going to be the most fascinating question when it comes to this Lightning team, possibly, is will he be in the lineup come the start of the playoffs, assuming that Stamkos and Kucherov are back, ready to go? I think he is because of the relationship with John Cooper. I'm not telling you that's right. I'm wondering if it is the case, does he have a shorter leash? And to me, that will be maybe the bigger, the biggest question mark when it comes to this lightning team is who is your top 12 assuming everybody's healthy don't be left out make sure you subscribe to the lightning insider on apple Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else where podcasts are found now here again is Eric. yeah it's, it's always interesting you know we obviously talk a lot about tyler johnson and you know when we do tell people don't expect him to be a scratch for the start of the playoffs like we're not giving you our opinion on that we're just telling you how things are being run because it's it's there are relationships there and you know sometimes it is hard to separate relationships you know especially from a guy who has done a lot for this franchise and i know even again seeing it last night my twitter timeline gets filled up with anti-taylor johnson sentiment uh, regardless of what he's able to do um you know and this is a guy who two years ago did have 29 goals and he was second in the league with 27 even strength goals and it just hasn't worked out for him the last couple of years, but as to your point, I, I'm not saying one way or the other. I agree that Tyler Johnson should be in the playoff start in the lineup to start the playoffs. I'm just telling you, it's going to happen that way because of what you just mentioned. So, yeah, uh, it, it is going to be an, an interesting situation. How, how short of a leash, assuming it goes that way, how short of a leash does Tyler Johnson have? Because, um, you know, what was the game? Was the Carolina game where you know he lost the puck in the neutral zone? He missed the, or it was against Florida. He was not able to um, stay with Jonathan Huberto, and Huberto ends up scoring a goal with 11 seconds left. If that happens in the playoffs, is that it for him? 
is that the short is that a short leash because as a lot of people pointed out uh, he makes that sort of a play and then he gets elevated from fourth line center back to second line wing which sometimes is interesting what kind of a message does that send because as a head coach as much as you love a player and as much as the player is loved in a locker room puck don't lie right and is that is that the phrase we go with nowadays puck don't lie if that's the case at some point just as we saw last year when john cooper benched nikita kucherov for the third period of a game against ottawa sometimes delivering a message to an individual player is also sending a message to the team and so that's what i think you have to ask yourself if you're john cooper what message is this sending to the team if the this type of that type, if those type of plays continue for Tyler Johnson and he doesn't see the same sort of ramifications from it as maybe somebody else would. Yep. And I think those are all valid points. You can almost make the arguments since I think you and I are in agreement that that Johnson's going to be there to start the playoffs. That is who's going to be that sixth defenseman, maybe more of an interesting conversation because we have seen Luke Shen E get the majority of the starts here recently, Kyle Foote. We know the upside there, and he's played in quite a few games this season to get his feet wet. We also know Ron Ruta. Boy, bad luck for this guy, huh? Last couple of years, as they enter the playoffs, he can't stay healthy, and you can make a case he's arguably in that top six. I wonder if they have an idea of who their top six will be, understanding that that fifth and sixth defensemen aren't going to play a ton, but I do think each one brings a unique ability, and it will be, I think, interesting to see how this plays out with the remaining eight games. And when do you think we'll see Kyle foot if we do? Yeah. So the Cal foot situation is interesting because obviously I've gotten some questions about that. Uh, I was able to ask John Cooper about it. Like this is not totally a coach's decision. So we do know the cap situations that the lightning are under this year, the cap restraints that the lightning are under this year. So it's no coincidence that as soon as Mitchell Stevens came back from his rehab assignment with Syracuse, that Cal Foot has been out of the lineup. It's been post-deadline. It's been after the acquisition of David Savard. And it is as much, if not more, of a business side of the equation that Cal Foot has not played. What is it going on? Six games now. Seven games, actually, if you if it, you know the, that's that seven two loss in Nashville, he hasn't played in seven games, and it's not entirely a coach's decision. Yeah, they you know Luke Shen is a guy who needs to kind of see some playing time. He's been in and out as well, but there are cap implications involved with it. And you know, as people have said, well, gee, what about Jan Ruda? He's he's on LTI, and you're not wrong in that. However you still have to have cap space available if you expect Jan Ruda to come back at the start before the end of the regular season and indications are that's where things are heading. Same thing with Steven Stamkos. If you think Steven Stamkos is going to come back, yeah, you have the LTI room now, but you still have to have the available cap space to bring these guys back on. And we know how tight it was after the acquisition of Savard. So because Cal Foot does not have to go through waivers and you can put him on the taxi squad. That's a cap saving maneuver. And that is the biggest reason why we haven't seen Cal foot. And I know John Cooper said, we'll see him again before the end of the regular season. 
I just don't know when that's going to be because of how much cap space you have to have. I guess a lot's going to depend on whether Steven Stamkos can come back. You know, he's eligible, I think, May 5th. So after the, the two games set um, in Detroit. So he, he should be, uh, at least the, the timeline is that he could come back for those final four games of the regular season. We don't know if that's going to be the case. He hasn't yet begun skating uh, as we talk here right now. We know Jan Ruda is, is a little bit closer. He has back skating and, and practicing with the team. But Cal Foot, you know, we've talked about him. His progress this year, I think, has exceeded my expectations. Uh, has played some quality minutes this year for a rookie defenseman. Uh, but it is, it is a business decision. So, yeah, who is going to be in that top seven? We know the top five. Right. It's it's Hedman McDonough and Sergachev on the left side. It's going to be Chernak and Savard on the right side. So now you have three right shot guys to choose from and Cal Foot, Jan Ruda and Luke Shen. You know, of course, they could easily go seven, but I don't think that's going to be the case because of the depth they have at forwards. But it, you can't rule it out. Uh, but, yeah, that that is the more interesting uh, how that all plays out uh, once you get there, because you can't if you're auditioning or putting players in situations to audition for playoff roster spots. You can't really do it if you don't have the cap space. And I think that's what's hurting Cal foot right now uh, is he can't get in the lineup just because of cap implications. I mean, go back to the start of the regular season when Julian Brisebois said that even with the acquisitions of Anders Nilsson and Marion Gabrick to help create LTI pool and with Nikita Kucherov going on LTI, if Cal foot started the season, in Syracuse and not on the regular on the, on the uh, opening night roster, they would not have been able to bring him up. That's how tight against the cap they were. And that was back in January. So now that you've added a David Savard, who's even at only 25% of his cap hit his remaining cap hit, it takes up valuable space. So uh, interesting to kind of watch how this unfolds over the final two weeks, but uh, I'm not sure how much playing time Calfoot's going to get just because of that. Yeah, it's a fair point. The good news is I, I do think with Savard, they do have a bit more depth now on the back end. So whatever you decide to do, assuming that Root is healthy, I, I think Foote's gotten a decent amount of experience in the regular season where let's hope it doesn't take him too long to get adjusted to playoff hockey. We know there is a little bit of a learning curve there because the, the pace of the game is so much faster than what he would experience. And then you've got Luke Shen, who, by the way, I, I think has played very well. I was talking about this with Brian Engblom the other day. When you consider what they're paying him and the value they're getting from him, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to be your top four defenseman. But this is a guy they did go to at times last year, depending on the matchup in the playoffs. And he knows his role. It's pretty simple. He gets the puck on a stick in his own zone, and he's basically looking to get it out as quickly as possible. And in the front of the net, he is willing to take out that guy no matter what. And I think there is something to be said for that. I think when the Lightning at times do get in trouble, they they have some problems boxing out. And I think Shen is one of their better players to do it. So is it as deep as what we saw last year? No. But has it narrowed the gap? I think it has. The, just there are some questions that need to be answered. You know, where's Roots' health? Where is foot when it comes to the playoffs, when it comes to his game and getting acclimated to the speed of the game? And with Shen... Um, if you're playing him in your top six for the full playoffs, which I don't think it will happen, um, that might not be in the team's best interest because he does have certain deficiencies and, and those could be exposed. But um, I, I do think it'll be wor- it'll, it'll work itself out in the way it's supposed to. And it's probably not, you know, going on a, on a limb here and saying that those three guys at some point all will see some time in the playoffs. 
Yeah, is is you know heading into the postseason last year and how they put their bubble roster together. I mean, you heard Julian say research has showed us that teams don't go deeper than nine defensemen in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, that's pretty much your nine, your top six. And then, you know, this, you know, you have Ruda and Foot and Shen, depending on where they go. That's eight of the nine. So, yeah, it, it's much deeper. And that's where I think the acquisition of Savard was so key. And we knew they had to do it. They needed to find some way to bring in another right shot defenseman just to add to the depth because then it kind of changes guys' roles, right? Now you're not asking, you know, in this case, a Jan Ruda to play 19 minutes a game. He wasn't playing that much, but you know, you don't have to rely on him to play 19 minutes a game. You don't have to rely on Cal foot to play 19 minutes a game. You can put them into positions where they're a little bit more comfortable or more a capable of handling maybe a few less minutes per game than being in a top line role. So, you know, with that top four of Hedman, McDonald on the left, Chernak and Savard on the right. And we've seen, primarily here ever since that 7-2 game against Nashville, all six games in this homestand, you did see Chernak paired with Hedman for the most part and Savard for the most part with McDonough. And that's probably what your top four lines are going to look like. Um, so it, it's, it'll be fascinating to watch. It'll be fascinating to see where things go. And, you know, to your point about Luke Shen, like the, 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 the one thing you always just kind of have to concern yourself with Luke is the foot speed is not there. He doesn't have the speed to get back. So there are moments in games where you're like, oh, no, is, is Luke too deep? Is his partner not covering for him? Did a forward not come back and cover for him? Because he can't make up the ground. Even if he makes a, you know, a quick move down low and then realizes it's, a, it's the wrong play, he, it's harder for him to recover than it is the other defenseman. Um, so that's the only concerns that I ever have with Luke when he's out on the ice because physicality, his ability around the net, the, the, the ability to send a message physically. I mean, how many times during these six games did we see him deliver a big hit along the boards? Those things matter in the playoffs. And we know how universally in that locker room he is looked at. Not only because, you know, think back to the fight he had against Matt Martin in the Eastern Conference Finals last year and kind of what that meant to the team. You know, there's a reason he was brought back because of those elements. And he's willing to take basically the league minimum, the league veteran minimum to remain with this team. So there's value in there. He is not as talented. He can't get around the ice as well as maybe the other guys that we were including in this list. But there is a lot of value in what he can bring. Yeah, uh, it's just you don't want to have to play him. And then you've seen it. His ice time is what, nine, ten minutes a night. And you're OK with that just because of the way they they move their defensemen around. You know, like we'll sit here and say that Victor Hedman and Eric Chernak have, have been paired. But, you know, you see Savard out there with them. You see Sergeyev on the right side with them. So they still mix and match their defensemen just because of that. They do. And, um, you know, very rarely, though, do you see him get beats? with that speed uh, or lack thereof. I mean, at least since I've seen him play a, as a lightning, I mean, at times it'll, it'll creep up, but I think he does a pretty good job. Like I said, he knows the angles pretty well plays within himself. And again, you're talking about a guy who's played what over 800 games in the national hockey league. I mean, he's basically done everything in this league. And I think he just understands how to play a simple game. And if you put him out there, even if it's for a series, depending on who the matchup is, I think John Cooper obviously feels very confident and i think those are probably the the two biggest questions you're going to have heading into the playoffs who is going to be that 60 and is tyler johnson 
going to be in the lineup to start. I think we kind of answered that one. I think the other one with uh, the, the defenseman is, is going to be the other interesting question. Yep. All right. Before we get to our last topic here, uh, I want to make sure we take care of our sponsor at Manscape. Uh, flowers are blooming. The grass is growing and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your hole safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers. Manscaped, the Ooh. global leaders in men's below the waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use the code BOLTS to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. Why wouldn't you? I'm actually looking at my refined cologne right now that uh, I have a tendency to put on from uh, time to time. And um, it's a good smell. Did, People did, like it. Did, did you get a whiff of mine when I sat next to you last night in the uh, the broadcast booth? You didn't, did no, you? It was, it was something else, but it, it was, <laughs> it was good smelling. I don't know what it was. <laughs> no, I did. I did get a whiff. And it was good. It was good. That was another time that you... <laughs> yeah no hey uh you you look good you smell good you feel good and manscaped can help they you bring it all yeah. of that all right let's let's talk about alex barnbillet he ends up getting his first career nhl goal you, you kind of felt it coming for a while because he had created some chances and then you just look at the way he played uh in the game against columbus on sunday and particularly had six shots on goal had 10 shot attempts uh offensively wise chance wise probably his best game and he earned that power play goal yeah i know Jonas corpusala got hurt on the play and he couldn't quite get the pushback to the other side i'm not sure it would have mattered because of how well he placed that shot but so nice to see another rookie we talked a lot about ross colton but to see another rookie come through with their first nhl goal at a key time that was an important goal after the team fell behind 55 seconds into the third period to get even once again with that game and a just reward for a former AHL rookie of the year to come in being given this opportunity here with Steven Stamkos out to play in a top six role. And I don't know what that's going to mean come playoff time. Assuming everybody's healthy, I'm sure he's not in the lineup, but he is really making a name and a case for himself that he can play top six minutes in this league. And I think that's huge going forward, not just for him, but for this team, again, knowing how much the roster is probably going to have to be turned over at the end of the season. You know where this helps him? This helps him for next year, because when you take a look at this lightning roster, you could have two or three forwards, not on this team. And you're going to need some guys from the minor leagues to step in at a cheaper rate and be somebody who can fill in and fill in well. And I think Barry Boulay, I think Ross Colton, if you want to throw Jamel Smith in that category, go ahead. This is all, all contingent upon them resigning these guys for sure. And, you know, whether it's a, a radish down in Syracuse or somebody else that always seems to emerge that we typically don't talk about. Mitchell Stevens, certainly another guy. We've kind of lost track of him a little bit because of how the lineup has been shaking up. But I think Barboulet's put himself in a position for sure next year that he's going to be one of those guys they look to if they have some turnover to be somebody who can fill in and be somewhat productive. I don't want to make the comparison to Braden Point early on in his career because I don't think it's fair. Braden Point's a, a world-class player who you've heard me say time and time again, I think he's their most important offensive player 
on this team. That can be debated for sure, but we understand that he's really, really good. But you remember Braden Point he, early on in his rookie career. I mean, he had opportunities and just couldn't finish. It was towards the end of his rookie season that he, he finally started to put the puck in the net with some regularity, but he was getting chances. And I, I think as long as you're getting chances, you've got a chance to be pretty productive. And I think to Boulay's credit, he has done that. Now the next part in his game is going to be the finish. And you know, what most people will say is, is keeping him back from being maybe a really big force in the NHL is skating, which I think has gotten better. So I think, I think there are some interesting parallels with Braden Point and how things started for him. Barboulet is getting chances. He just didn't finish. But maybe this goal against Columbus can open the floodgates for him. And he can be somebody that, whether it's in the playoffs this year, if they need a spark, but certainly next year, that he is somebody they can count on to, to really contribute offensively. Yeah, and, and he's showing that he can play with top players. And, you know, we know because of how he played in Syracuse that if he was going to play in the NHL, it has to be a top six role. And he's getting that chance. There's a reason why they've put him out there on the number one power play unit, because that's a big area where he was a big part of Syracuse's success over the past couple of years. And, you know, obviously him and Carter Verhage were fantastic two years ago for the crunch. Uh, They were actually tied for the league lead in goals. Uh, Verhage led the league in scoring, but they both tied for the league leading goal. So he's an offensive player. You're not always sure if the offensive success at an AHL level transfers to an NHL level. Not always the case, uh, but in his case, it has in terms of creating the chances and the opportunities that he's had offensively. And that's what you look for. Can he play with top players? Can he put himself into position to be productive in a top line role. Some players can't handle it. Some players can. I think he's shown through eight games and he started the last six um, on that line with Braden point and Andre plot. And I think a a good comparison, you know, it it is hard to compare anybody to Braden point Tyler Johnson, you know, his first full year in the NHL when he was a, a rookie of the year finalist, he had opportunities that he wasn't finished. He still ended up with 20 goals his rookie year, but in the early stages of that year, he would have a ton of chances that he just wouldn't finish. So it's, I think that's probably a more uh, fair comparison for Barry Boulay uh, is Tyler Johnson in the way that he went around figuring out because, you know, they're about the same age when they hit the NHL point, of course, was 20. He was that rare lightning prospect that makes the jump, pretty much directly from junior to the NHL, whereas Johnson was in the minors a couple years and Barry Boulay is now in his third year as a pro. So they're about the same age-wise when they hit the NHL. Um, and if, if he can start to you – you want the chances to be there. That's the big thing is if the chances are coming, you know players with offensive pedigree like Alex Barry Boulay are eventually going to finish. And once they figure that part out, then, then they start to come a little bit more consistently, and that's the next step for me. It's probably not going to happen this year because you've only got eight games in the regular season, again, as we talk right here. But next year, again, I, I will never put anybody in permanent marker heading towards a, a next season, but right now you can pencil him in for a top six role on this team, and with consistent minutes, he's only going to get better.
Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I think you want to see him continue to now put up some points. I mean, it's one thing to show that you can play with these guys, but you have to produce too. You can't just be somebody that is getting chances, but not converting. That's the next step. And so these next eight games probably doesn't get used in the playoffs, but he may, he may see a game. Look, we saw Volkov last year in the playoffs. And I think Barry Boulay in less time has shown more flashes that he can be a top six than Volkov did. Uh, we may say we may see Barry Boulay in the playoffs and he may yeah. have an opportunity to make an impact. And you know what? That's, that's fine. I, I just, let's continue to see the progression, continue to get chances and now finish. That is the next step, but it is encouraging to see another guy in their system come up and not look out of place, which is good. I, again, testament to this team's track record of drafting, not just drafting, but developing players. Excuse me. So this is, you know, another example of it, of, you know, the Sorelli's and the points and all these players. And, and, and look, Barbelay wasn't even drafted. He was an undrafted free agent who chose to come here because of the track record this franchise has. And it's paying off for him. Would he have gotten an opportunity at a quicker rate, maybe with another organization? It's possible just because we know the depth that this team has. But I'm, I, you know, plenty of people, I think, would argue with you that uh, his development was helped further along so that when he got to the NHL, he was more ready and not that he's arrived yet, but we figure he's going to my next season. Um, this, you know, Stacy Roost, director of player personnel, now GM at Syracuse. And, you know, now JP Cote is part of that development pro- uh, program as well. Just continue to find ways to get players to understand how to best develop themselves and and so much credit to the players as well, because they have to put in the work to do it. And that's, what's going to keep this team relevant and competitive beyond, you know, the championship season last year, you have the core and then you have to fill the core with players around. Think about how the Blackhawks were able to kind of have some success that they had because they were able to bring in guys like Panarin and Brandon Saad to work around a Taze and a Kane and a Keith and a Seabrook and, and those players um, not predicting three cups in five years. It'd be great if that happens. I'm not predicting that, but you need that in today's game, especially with the salary cap and especially now with a flat salary cap, you need players that can come in and, and, and take on these type of roles on lower contracts just to be able to keep you competitive. And boys, this franchise just done a fantastic job of that in the 10 years now, 11 years since Steve Eisman took over, it's transferred the same um, approach and attitude under Julian Breezebois. And it's just uh, it's just great to see. It's just great to see young players come in and when they're ready, they're ready. They don't push them earlier. And I remember having a conversation with Pat Verbeek a few years ago, who was then an assistant general manager under Steve Eisman. He always said, nobody ever says you left a player in the minors too long. They only yeah. tell you that you brought them up too soon. And that's a philosophy that this organization continues to to show. And they're doing it again, again, with Ross Colton coming up this year. And he's a little different. He signed, you know, as a little bit of an older player coming out of college. Sure. But again, when they're ready, you give them the opportunity because they're ready. Then, then they have to take it from there. Yep. And um, it's one of the reasons why this window has stayed open. And it's another reason why I think a lot of people want them to win another cup this year for obvious reasons, but you've been given a gift to basically keep the same team intact that you didn't anticipate before the season started because of some injuries and the cap, but you've also found some depth that maybe you didn't think you had. And I, I think that's why this year you've got a really golden opportunity to, to repeat and uh, get another ring that looks luxurious. 
Yep. And one last thing I want to touch on real quick. That's uh, just starting to show up. And uh, the TV contract has been something that we've talked about. A lot of people have kind of kept interest on. We know the deal with uh, ESPN and, and ABC that the NHL signed a few weeks back. There was hope that NBC would continue as its secondary partner for games. It looks like that is not going to be the case. There's reports out that NBC is pulled out of the bidding process and it's, and it's not Fox. Everybody thought maybe that meant Fox was going to get back into the NHL. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Turner and TNT that is actually going to be the secondary television partner for the U S uh, games here, which means Greg more Charles Barkley talking about hockey. I could, uh, you know what? Actually, that would be entertaining. It'd be great. Man, did you see that guy? <laughs> he just took his stick to the face and he just put him, he lost his teeth. Somebody did that to me, I'd knock him out. I, and I can't wait for the first time Charles Barkley interviews John Cooper. Because if, if you remember, <laughs> those two have a relationship. Remember back in 2015? Your memory is great. In 2016. Yeah. Well, because this is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how many people know this story, but I think it was a Cooper's first full year. I think it was his first full year, maybe a second full year. I forget the exact time frame, but the team was staying in Los Angeles and Barkley was in town doing NBA games. And at the hotel bar, they just ended up started to talk like for hours, Charles Barkley and John Cooper and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you start hearing Charles Barkley talk about hockey on the NBA broadcast, and he's always looking to see how the Lightning do in the playoffs tonight. Let's talk about the Lightning in the playoffs tonight. So it's a fascinating relationship. And you know what? It was 2015 because Barkley was actually at Madison Square Garden the night that they won. The Lightning won the Eastern Conference Championship against the really? Rangers because Barkley was – it was after most of the media had gone. Chris Johnson, our good friend from uh, Sportsnet, you know, back in the early days when uh, there was no deadlines, obviously, for online writers. So he just kind of hung around and hung around and hung around. And lo and behold, Charles Barkley showed up down outside the Lightning locker room, you know, when they won the Eastern Conference Championship. So there's a there is a good relationship there between Charles Barkley and John Cooper, which, uh, hey, if the NHL is going to be on TNT, I cannot wait for that first crossover segment with Charles Barkley interviewing John Cooper. Let's make it happen, Lightning PR staff. We got to get Charles on the podcast. Oh, make that, that would be a coup. That would be. That would be awesome to get done. So, again, nothing official on that. But, you know, when some of the top insiders, uh, Elliot Friedman and Bob McKenzie, are both reporting it, you can pretty much consider it to be a done deal. Uh, a, what is a done deal, Greg, is this episode. As always, a lot of great fun. Great conversation. Great talk, everybody. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Share it with your friends. Uh, hit the rate and the review. They mean so much to everything we do. Um, and just share it, share it, share it, share it, because we're getting close to crunch time um, with the playoffs right around the corner. And uh, that's the interesting thing. We don't know when the playoffs are going to start. John Cooper has been talking around this a little bit over the last couple of days about Tampa Bay season ends on May 10th. The playoffs were supposed to start around the 11th or 12th, but you now have regular season games scheduled through at least May 19th because of Vancouver. So you might get some extra time off if you're the Lightning 
than you had planned to get ready for the playoffs, which means more time for us to talk and more podcasts, Greg. Yeah, he kind of hinted at that, which was pretty interesting. I think that's the right move. The league decides has to be, you know, a little bit more time to decompress and, and heal up a bit more. So coaches will like it because they can practice too. And that's something they haven't been able to do a ton of this year. So, yeah, we could be talking about the the first round matchup a little more in depth than anticipated, but that's okay. We'll be here. That's what we'll do. Right, everybody. As always, thank you so much for listening. Greg, as always, great conversation. Uh, you, we'll be we'll be back with another podcast in about a week or so. Uh, so if you ever have any questions, we didn't have any today, but if you ever have a questions, use the ask ee hashtag on Twitter. We will get to them. So until next time. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.